0: i'm now going to touch on one of these lovely scriptures of authority of the hindus most hindus if you ask the hindus uh, do you have any of the upanishads in your house i'm I tell you majority of hindus they have not a single Upanishad. they have never seen an upanishad they don't know what the heck it is they are wallowing i must make this comment let it go back to india they wallow in kathas storytelling Storytelling is a marvelous beginning of the spiritual journey, a religious journey. It attracts us through storytelling, through wonderful, colorful narratives. But at some stage, it becomes necessary to grow up, to shift from storytelling or the narratives, the philosophy, the heart of Hindu religion. And sometimes the Hindus are very bad at doing that. They like to. Haven't you noticed most of the soap operas in on television? they wallow, they wallow. They seem to enjoy, you know, going in on the same old thing, round and round the merry, you know, merry <laughs> the, the, the the mulberry bush. They go round and round, wallowing and crying, and a little bit of laughter and then crying again, and that vicious woman doesn't die or something. You know, keeps coming back and destroying their family life, and they love it. They thrive on wallowing. So this idea of wallowing in sentimentality is a feature that is not only restricted to soap operas, it is also visible in religions. The following in storytelling. When the storytellers do the stories, they should give a health warning, they should go with the storytelling. And the health warning is very simple. These Kathas are the kindergarten, They, they have marvelous, very highly gems within them and yet you must treat the stories as they are, narratives powerful tools in order to present some very subtle ideas but the subtle ideas must be exposed must be expressed must be understood instead of doing that they are expecting you to treat the stories as literal truths so straight away the youth will move away from you straight away they say I can't be true this can't be true and they think because the stories are suspect the whole enterprise is suspect so they abandon their religion in droves so the modern youth in India and in the UK are not attracted to religion, they are rather attracted to these dancing girls. It's much more easier enterprise to handle than this kind of airy fairy things. And who is to blame? The storytellers. They must give a health warning. Guys, it is nice to suck your thumb and listen to Kathas, but at some stage grow up and look at the philosophic foundation of your religion. Where does it lie? Upanishads. This is the shift necessary from storytelling, from the Purans going into philosophy, the Shrutis, the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita is where the heart, the throbbing heart of Hinduism lies. So what are the Upanishads? First of all, just to give background, Upanishad basically means you come close to me and we destroy your delusion. And remember when I talked about Dharma, I said the aim of Dharma is to remove the delusion that you are the body and the mind and you are the spirit to resolve your human condition. So the Upanishads, the aim of the Upanishad is to, to do precisely that. To remove your delusion regarding what, the rea- what is the nature of reality, what is your nature itself. It removes the delusion. That's the whole aim of the enterprise. So here we come across one of these most marvelous central Upanishads of the Hindu tradition, Katho Upanishad. It's not very clear which Vedas it occurs in, but they say it's Yajur Veda. Possibly. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. What is this Upanishad about? It starts off in a narrative format, but in a way it shows the evolution of Hindu thought, So, very crude ideas to very sophisticated ideas. You see the evolution of Hindu thought within the Upanishad, you see that very visibly. Let me do the story of the Upanishad itself and at the same time pull out some of the key features of the Upanishad that relate to the ideas of Atman, Brahman, Samsara and Dharma. What are the features? Let me do the narrative and we are not, as I told you, the Vedic scriptures don't mind using poetry and narratives to bring out subtle ideas. But this is purely, they tell you it's narrative, so watch it, don't treat it as literal truth. The narrative goes as follows. In ancient India, a sage, a rishi, what were the the ideas of ancient India? That if you offer things to God or to higher beings, then you'll be rewarded because you'll be sent to heaven where you can live with these higher beings for thousands of years and have great time there or pleasure very diff- different from the Abrahamic idea of heaven. This was visible in ancient India. So you do certain sacrifices, you do yagnas, and th- the result of that is that you will go to heaven and live for a long time there. So this was there, very visible. So it's an ancient sage of the Hindu tradition who is doing a yagna, but he's a bit of a mean person and what he's doing, instead of giving out the best that he possess, you must give away the best thing that you possess in do- in, is donate it out. He was giving away the cows that, that had stopped giving milk, they were no good. He was giving them away. He had a little son, a fire old boy, called Nachiketa. The little boy was very sharp, had sharp intellect. And he realized that something is not right. So he went to his father and said, you are supposed to give away the best of your things that you possess in this yagna, in this sacrifice. So my question is, who are you giving me away to? Because I am your best son. Now, you see, never going to ask a father such difficult pointed questions. And the poor Nachiketa kept asking his father, who am I being given to? And the father got fed up finally and said, I'm sending him." you know, the, the English translation will be go to hell, but I won't use that. He said, I'm giving you to the, the, the king of death, means die. You know, old father sometimes time use such language. So he said, sending you to the king of death. And the little boy, this is the storytelling part, the real upanishad hasn't started. said, okay, I go to the king of death. And of course, the king of death in the story is always lives around the corner, you know, his address is available. So he went there, and he knocked on the door, and the king of death was busy, maybe some you know, plague or something in the world, and he is collecting all souls, and he's kind of busy, you know, in his travels. Story part, enjoy. So the king of death is not available, and the boy, he's a very really steadfast chap. He stays there for three days and three nights, waiting for the king of death, without eating or without drinking after three days the king of death comes, Yama comes and says, Oh my boy, you've been waiting here for three days and nobody looked after you, you are not eaten. This is terrible! And to make up for that, I give you three bones. You know, three wishes. If you like, like storytelling, you like stories and wishes. So what would you like, my boy? And the boy was very clever. For the first wish he said, Look, I don't want to die. I've come to your, door, to your doorstep but I don't want to die. I am quite happy to continue to live, but my father is angry, so can you make sure I can go home? I don't die and my father is no longer angry with me. Can you sort that out for me? Get my father in the right mood for me to return home. This is looking after your mundane, your immediate requirement. So the boy is very practical. He wants, doesn't want to die. He wants to go and live with his family again and happily. Yum smiled. He said, okay, I'll let you have that wish. The sec- For the second wish, said the boy, you see, people have been saying that you do certain yagnas, certain sacrifices. And so these fire ceremonies where lots of animals were sacrificed it was commonplace, remember. Said they said, if you do this major yagnas, you can go and live in heaven for thousand years. Can you tell me the trick of that? What is the best yagna to live a long time in heaven? They said, the Upanishad shows you the evolution of the Hindu thought within just one Upanishad. So the idea, ancient idea, was that you do certain activities, certain rituals, which will give you a benefit in the hereafter, similar to the Abrahamic ideas. You see the visibility; it's same ideas visible in Abrahamic religions. So the idea that you do certain work here and you get benefit in heaven, where you can you know, enjoy the fruits of your action—marvelous idea. He said, "What yagna?" The king of death smiles. Okay, I'll teach you a yagna, which will be from now on will be called Nachiketa yagna, which people can practice and go to heaven and live for a thousand years marvelous idea I'll, I'll teach you the tricks the technique of that party because they're very elaborate techniques again what is becoming revealed <laughs> in the ancient hindu tradition we have this idea this is called purva Masa. this idea that particular liturgy particular you know methodology that you use for carrying out worship or the, the havan ceremony will produce certain definite benefits but you must pronounce the exact words and you must have the exact size of the altar must be perfect. And all this idea is very visible in the Purvami Masa. We emphasize the liturgy, the ritualistic aspect of the Hindu religion. And that was visible in the Kathopanishad, a second boon. Again, you see, I'm showing you the evolution of the Hindu thought. From this idea of sacrificing, fulfilling liturgy, full, you know, making sure you do follow the liturgy to its letter is visible. So far, the Upanishad has not even begun. I am just showing you the background. The narrative is showing, you building up the context in which the Upanishad world became visible. Now, with the third boon, begins the real Upanishad. Now, Nachiketa says, I have a problem. See, you send me to heaven, it's alright, to live for a thousand years, but it's still temporary. Compared to infinity, compared to something that is everlasting or something, it's like a drop. in the the ocean. It's hardly worth much, is it? For my third boon, I wish to learn the secret of immortality. Now immortality, be careful, doesn't mean living forever, even though it sounds like immortality, it means transcending the limitation of time. I'm tired of this kind of short-termism, short-termism, even living for a thousand years is short-term compared to eternity. So I don't want short-term resolution to the human condition. I'm looking for a permanent resolution. I wish to transcend all limitations. See now, what you heard in the earlier session about the idea of Dharma, transcending, breaking free from the human bondage is what the Upanishad is searching for. Same thing coming with Nachiketa. I wish to transcend time. I wish to break the bondage of human condition. Teach me the secret of immortality. What is death all about? Now, with the third boon, the king of death smiled. Yama, yeah, storytelling is nice. He said, Nachiketa, look, you are a little chap. Forget about it. This is difficult for you. Let me, instead of giving you this boon, let me make you the king of the whole world for a thousand years. A thousand years you can rule the world. And I'll give you lots of little princesses to marry. Sweet, you know, wearing saris and going. Hello, I'm your wife. I'll give you lots of sweet princesses to marry and rule the kingdom, and lots of chariots of gold. these people people' the eyes light up. You know, when you mention gold, I, everybody's eyes light up. It's like shining Mercedes-Benz. This, in today's terms, so I give you all these Mercedes-Benz and shining cars and hopefully beautiful women and lots of them. No problem. And all this empire. It's a nice thing, my little boy. Won't you be happy, little boy? You'll be a little princess, prince married to lots of princesses and living happy life. I'll give you that. Forget it. This is difficult. Don't ask me the difficult question. Just take this. This is a nice, sweet thing. You see, an ordinary person would be easily, you know, easily, it would be easy to digress. It's understandable. This Najiketa now shows real perseverance. Nishta. He says, no. O oh, king of death, all these things that you give me will drain me. Basically, you know, when you chase after pleasures, haven't I mean, you noticed it drains you. You go on so many holidays and you buy this and buy that. It drains you. The amount of effort you to make sure that you wash your car and go to the airport and sit and eat in the plastic trays, it drains you. You say, no, but this is called life. And this is what we're all about. Oh, it's drained. Don't you realize? And Nachiketa was very mature. He realized. This is a draining exercise. It's not a fulfilling exercise, it will make me, it will dilute me, it will demolish me. He said, I don't want this short-term not You know what he told the king of death? Keep your chariots of gold and keep your princesses. Look at the language, the arrogant chef as well. You keep it. He It belongs to you, you keep it. I want the secret. What is my real nature? How do I transcend my limitation? I wish to learn that. You see, this here, we see the way this idea of this boy trying to make sense of the human condition and is not easily fobbed off by simple pleasures or simple things that normally most of mankind is, this is how, this is the condition of mankind. We are easily, we easily digress, get caught up with our usual human kind of frailties and frailties and chase after them and we feel that fulfilling them, we have solved the problem of human condition. We just get drained and we die and we come back again and start the process again. The resolution is not being drained more and more, but to transcend it, get over it. And this is what Nachiketa, little boy, asked for. You see, this is the beginning of the Upanishads. I'm just showing you how this idea of Dharma, of knowing what is of essential nature, and how to do it, theory and practice becomes visible in the Upanishads. So with the third boon, Nachiketa asked for the grand prize. And the king of death tried, all this trickery. Narchiketa couldn't be could be bought out, so he smiled, and here now begins the Upanishad. He says, "Ah, my boy, you see, for this knowledge you require a a very a very suitable student and a very suitable teacher. This is very unique knowledge that only some possess, only an aspirant of your nature can access this information or this knowledge. You have shown all the marvellous characteristic of perseverance." Vivek and Vairagya, the key features that are required in the Hindu tradition. You've shown both of them. Vivek, distinguishing between what is permanent and what is temporary. He doesn't look for a temporary resolution of human condition with chasing after pleasures and having all this money and gold and power and all that. He didn't didn't choose that. He chose the permanent resolution. I want a permanent resolution to the human condition, not temporary one. Perseverance, Vivek. Vairagya becomes visible. These are the requirements for a true person who is keen, genuine person who is interested in religion or spirituality. And this little boy exhibited all three. Vivek, Vairagya. Vairagya means dispassion. I'm not attracted to all these women and all that. Dispassion. These are necessary prerequisites if you wish to become spiritually molded. And this is visible in the story of Nachiketa. We see this how, be- how beautifully it comes across. So the Upanishad begins. The king said, I am very pleased with you, my boy. You are a special student, and I am the special teacher because I am the king of death. I know the secret of death. I am the right person to teach this to you. Here begins the Upanishad. And in just the first few phrases, first few verses, the whole heart of the Upanishad, translating theory into practice, becomes visible. And this comes through two words you must memorize. This is the idea of dharma, practicing dharma in the Kathopanishad, in the very simple language. He says, my boy, two things present themselves to mankind, two things come to us. One is called Shreya, the other is called Preya. Praya means that which is pleasant, sweet, kind of draws your attention, pleasurable things, pre-preya. the other is Shreya, not necessarily pleasurable but beneficial those who chase after prayer lose the battle and they die, they come they are born again and again they come in my clutches, says Yama for them there is no resolution of the human condition they are re- they are destined to repeat their failures and can be born again and again so those who choose prayer are, are destined to repeat their errors and be reborn again and again reincarnation is the is the, is the name of the game for them and those like you who choose a Shreya, beneficial. You see, have you noticed? All our lives, look, I'm giving you the definition of putting religion into practice in just one phrase. Pray, Shreya over prayer. That's it. Getting your perspective right. That's all Kattop teaches. Get your perspective right. And then you'll be able to put religion into practice. Make sure you distinguish the pleasurable from the beneficial. Shreya, prayer. Once you have that ability to distinguish between this, your real religious journey begins. You're putting religion into practice. Now, says the Yama, see the same thing that we talked about, that the ancient Rishi Kapil discovered. Yama is going to unfold these ideas of Atman and Brahman. What is our essential nature? It is only when you discover your essential nature as a spirit and not the body and the mind, you transcend the cycle of birth and death, my boy. This is the conclusion of the Kathopanishad. But in the process, there are some hun- there are about 20 or 30 marvelous verses that become visible in the Kathopanishad. I'm going to touch on some of them. Just to, they just bring out the key features of the definition of Atman and Brahman that I talked about Asti, Bhati, and Priya. So I'm going to just show you how these ideas were explored and became visible in the Kathopanishad example you see this marvelous idea what is this brahman about i told you it is the underpinning of the universe the universe is if you like nothing but a projection of brahman how does this idea come across in the upanishad there's a marvelous verse i'm not supposed to sing but i'll go a little bit because i love this one na nachandra tarakam nema viduto bhanti kuto agni this is what he says you know what this brahman is about says yama this thing that underpins all of this creation. Do you know what it's all about? That thing, this element, or this principle that underpins everything cannot be lit up by the sun, nor by the moon, nor by the light that you have in your world. Talking about these lights as well. It cannot be lit up. It cannot be revealed by this ordinary light, the sun and the moon and this light. And yet, with its light, the light of Brahman, everything else lights up. It is with the light of Brahman that consciousness comes into being. See the idea of consciousness coming into being? It's the light of which Brahman that lights up the whole of this creation. No light can be thrown on it. That means it will, tra- it will transcend your ability to intellectualize it, to try and perceive it as a material universe. It is not a material thing. Neither is it a mental or intellectual thing. Your mind, your intellect will not be able to put a shine light on it. And yet, in the light of which everything else lights up including your intellect see the power of this idea this one verse so this is very visible then there are other verses that become very clear in the in the Kathopanishad and this one is a standard word you will find in the Bhagavad Gita as well as the Kathopanishad this is a lovely story you see Yama gives a nice metaphor to explain the human condition and our essential nature as the Atman in lovely one simple metaphor it says he uses that chariot example. He says that, really speaking, what are you made of? You've got different layers. Remember when we discussed this idea of what is our essential nature at the start? We said we seem to have different layers to ourselves. First of all, we have the outer physical layer. Then we have the mental layer in which we operate, in which we make sense of the world. And in the mental model, we also have the intellect, the discerning faculty of the mind, which allows us to not only perceive the universe, but to make sense of it. The power that animals don't have, that human beings have the discerning faculty, the buddhi, the intellect. So now Yama gives a marvelous example of how all these are linked with Atman, or this principle that is our essential nature. He says, imagine a chariot. Imagine the horses as the five senses that you possess. You know the five senses of all human beings have. Imagine the horses. And imagine the road is the object of the senses so our senses you know smell will go towards the flower or food will go towards the ladu whatever so our senses are driven or drawn by the objects of the of senses the senses automatically like horses being going over a road the horses are controlled by reins which is the mind there is some particular faculty that we possess, we seem to have a little bit of a rein, a control or harness on the senses and that is our mind. Because you think, have you noticed, if I direct my mind to listen, you know, to, for, for listening, my whole being is towards my process of listening and my hunger and thirst are forgotten. If I don't keep a proper rein or check on my mind, my mind is thinking, oh lunch time, I'm hungry, why is it going on? See, there's your, your reins are loose. But when you control the reins you can control the five senses the mind is a control over it but now who is actually pulling the reins the faculty that is within the mind called the buddhi the intellect that is actually saying okay right one turn right turn right you are going off the road and that's the thing that is controlling the mind the buddhi the discerning faculty the intellect controls the mind so far we described the chariot the horses the road the rain and the chariot driver the buddhi controlling the, the chariot driver is the buddhi, the, the intellect. Use this example. Eh? You get full marks. They are expecting this. But then who is riding the chariot? Who is the master who is sitting in the back and enjoying the ride? That is the Atman or the spirit. If the spirit that becomes encapsulated, becomes embodied in the body and the mind, and goes through the human journey. So, in this one simple example of the body, the chariot, we get the idea of the seeing, seeing the different layers to our being, and our essential nature is not even the buddhi, not the mind, not the physical body, the, and that's the senses we possess, but that thing which is just observing as consciousness. That is our essential nature, the spirit, and not the body and the mind. That is the whole feature of this one particular lovely verse. So that is visible in the Kathopanishad. There are some other aspects that are very lovely in the Kathopanishad that I must touch on. They are very powerful. One other idea is this. This Atman, they say, it is neither here nor there. It is smaller than the smallest and yet bigger than the biggest. This is the idea of transcendence. You see, as we are caught up with the finite, we can never truly grasp the infinite. We can make effort to grasp the infinite, but we can never really get our minds around it because it is essentially transcendent. And there are two places where the transcendence becomes very visible. It is in the infinite and the infinitesimal. This is how you show transition, you know, if you like, transcendence, means moving away from the finite. How can you move away from the finite? And the first thing that human beings would think, oh, infinite. That's just going to one end of the scale. What about the infinitesimal? That too is transcending the finite. So in this Upanishad, this wonderful idea comes. This infinite that the speed we're talking about is transcendent. It is visible as the infinite as well as the infinitesimal see the powerful idea in the other theology they normally says infinite we say infinite as well as infinitesimal this is again visible in this Kathopanishad so these are some of the key features and there are some other ideas in the Kathopanishad which are very attractive it says to discern this to make sense of this idea that I am telling you that you are the spirit and not the body and mind you require to, to discover this is one of the greatest challenges faced by mankind it is not an easy easy exercise it is like walking on a razor's edge the goal is very difficult this that the path is very difficult but the goal is very attractive because the goal is freedom from bondage from all human conditioning you discover yourself as free and blessed and the aim of the Upanishad is to discover this freedom you see this there's no god coming in Break free from the shackles of your body and mind. discovering your essential nature. This one final verse of the Upanishad that you must quote when you get a chance. This is a wonderful thing. This is the resolution of the Upanishad, the conclusion. He says, the knowing self, the word is knowing self, is never born, never dies. As long as you don't know yourself as the spirit, your journey of rebirth continues and you come under my clutches again and again, says Yama. You'll be born and you'll die. You'll be born and you'll die. I'll clutch you again and again. You come under my clutches again and again. The knowing self, you see, the self is self lit anywhere. But once you discern yourself as the spirit, the knowing self is never born, never dies the power of the Upanishads is telling you how to resolve your human condition and in one Upanishad some of the marvelous idea of Atman and Brahman becomes visible there's another metaphor that they've used in this Upanishad and also in the Bhagavad Gita and they use this idea of an upside down people tree an upside down tree you see it in the Bhagavad Gita and you say what the heck is it why is it upside down and i thought hard about it in fact I looked at many scriptures who try and say why did they turn it upside down you see the idea is this we always somehow think human beings think spirit is somewhere up there. Do you ever think spirit is under my feet? All this thing is up there. When you think of God, do you think God is here? You always say, ah God, why do we look up? This is a human characteristic. So the idea is that somehow the spirit is up there and we human beings are down there. The expression of spirit coming from up above and expressing itself as human being is going downwards, coming down, reducing his godhead. So the idea of upside down is the roots are in the unmanifested Brahman but it's, it's, its expression, manifestation, is in this physical world as human beings. So they use the upside-down tree saying its, it's, it's roots is unmanifested Brahman, but its expression is the visible universe that we live in, including our human condition. That's why they show upside-down tree again and again. And most people say, why? I thought about it. It's the psychology of looking upwards. That's why they turned it upside-down. <laughs> I can't see any the better reason for that.